Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Thank you, Nippur, and thank you as well to the musicians this morning uh, for that wonderful worship music. Before I begin my sermon this morning, I have a couple of personal notes. First, um, the moment I found out uh, a few months ago that uh, Dr. Sterling was stepping down, uh, of course, it was uh, quite a shock to, stay the, to say the least. Um, I already knew at that point that Reverend Chris would not be renewing his appointment, but with Andrew also stepping down, I, I knew that a big change was coming, um, both for the church and for me as well. I've had a few months now to process that and to think about how I can best serve this congregation and this community in the months ahead. And I want to tell you that my, my goal in the months ahead is simply to be for you a calm and familiar and friendly and faith-filled presence, uh, both in worship and in other parts of the life of the church. Uh, to hopefully help as uh, help us all as a congregation grieve what we've lost, grieve the loss of, of our senior minister, Andrew, and, and eventually, eventually begin to Im, uh, imagine the future and the opportunities that, that might lie ahead for us as a congregation. But that will come sometime down the road. Uh, for now, it's good for us to just spend some time acknowledging what we've lost, acknowledging that we're, we're sad that Andrew is not going to be in our midst anymore. And I do hope that you will reach out to me, that you will send me your pastoral needs and your prayer requests, and that I can be that calm and uh, friendly presence for you. Uh, second thing I wanted to mention is that I do actually have some good news this morning to share with you as well, and that is that I have someone to introduce to you, and that is the Reverend Orville James, who is not related to Nippur, um, actually, but they, although they share the same surname, they're going to do some Ancestry.com stuff, I think, to find out, you know, where they might have been related at some point. Orville is joining us uh, for the next few months as a transitional minister, and he is going to be with us on a half-time basis for the next few months while the search committee uh, does their work of finding a new senior minister. Now, for those of you who watched during the summers, Orville is no stranger to, uh, to Timothy Eaton Memorial Church. He's been here a number of times as a guest preacher uh, as part of the Festival, Festival of the Words Summer Preaching Series. Most recently, he was here in 2019, and that was the year um, that he retired from Wellington Square United Church in Burlington, where he had been in ministry for 23 of his 42 years of ministry. So Orville brings with him a, a few decades worth of, of ministry experience, as well as I believe about four generations of ministry experience, and just a, a warm, faithful presence that I hope you will uh, get to meet him and experience uh, him in that way just as I have. 
unlike Unlike Reverend Chris Miller, who was also here on a, a supply or a retired appointment uh, and, and who focused uh, specifically on pastoral care, Orville won't have one specific area of ministry focus, but will be assisting me in, in all overall in the day-to-day -day work of ministry. So including some preaching, some liturgy, some pastoral care, some uh, adult education. Uh, he'll be helping with a little bit of, of everything. And so I am truly grateful to have Orville here with us for these next few months and to have his support. And as I said, I hope that you will find him to be the warm and joyful and caring presence as I do. So welcome, Orville, and thank you for being here. Let's pray. God of new life, new beginnings, you are with us in every moment of our lives, especially in times of transition, especially in times of uncertainty. You are with us to guide our paths, to guide us on paths of righteousness and of faith. And as we come to you this morning and as we reflect on your word, be in our hearts that we might know you and that you might inspire our living. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, through Christ our Lord. Amen. A year or so ago, or maybe two, I, I don't remember exactly, my husband probably remembers better, he and I, Chris and I, uh, decided that we needed to upsize our TV. Rather, Chris decided we needed to upsize our TV, and, and I went along with it. He knows more about these things than I do. Um, I found out that it can actually be more complicated to buy the right TV than, than I had anticipated. Um, in the past, when I needed to, to buy a TV, I just found a brand name that I knew was reputable and, uh, and found a price point that was within my budget and, and that was the TV that I chose, for better or for worse. <laughs> Chris is more of an aficionado of these things than I am, so I learned that there are actually many things that you have to take into account when you're buying a TV. So, you know, you ha along with the brand and the price, you have to consider what kind of size of TV is going to fit in your room and allow you to watch those wonderful Marvel movies with, uh, with lots of color and definition. Um, so there's also then the kind of screen, there's the OLEDs and there's the LCDs and QLEDs and, and, and you have to ask how many HDMI ports does the TV have and, and is it a smart TV? I, I don't know, is the, the TV that we have now is probably smarter than I am. And then there's this business of, of 4K or 8K, or HD, or 1080p, and, and I don't know what any of that means, or at least I didn't, I do now. I found out that these last four terms especially refer to the TV's resolution, and it refers to how many 
pixels a TV screen can display, whatever pixels are. Well, each pix pixel is apparently is some, and I, I might be getting this all wrong, but each pixel is a little uh, individual light. Um, and, and more pixels means uh, that you can have more colors at one time because each pixel can be a different color and so you have more depth and detail, et cetera, which they say turns out a better resolution. That being said, resolution, it turns out, doesn't necessarily mean an overall better picture quality. There's more to the big picture than just the individual pixels. It turns out that what matters more is how all those pixels interact with one another when the TV, when the, when the picture on your TV is moving. Who knew, right? Many of us have another kind of resolution on our minds on this first Sunday of 2022. A New Year's resolution, for those of you who are inclined, has something in common with a TV's resolution. Now, I don't know how many of you make New Year's resolutions. Uh, if you do, I'd love to hear about it. You can send me an email. It's always good to have someone keeping I know I, to keep me accountable when I make a resolution, so send me an email. Or if you're watching on Facebook, you could just uh, throw it into the chat box. Let us know what your resolution is. Um, I find that the older I get, the less likely I am to make resolutions, but I, I sometimes do, and I think a couple of years ago I did make resolutions and I shared those with you so that you could hold me accountable. But even if I don't make an official resolution, I do like to spend a bit of time around the turn of the year reflecting on my life and maybe what the past year has been like, what are some of the changes I might make, like to make in my life going ahead, or maybe some goals that I might like to achieve in the coming months. The exercise of making a resolution can be helpful in that way. It's, it's a form of introspection, of meditation. It helps us to focus on specific aspects of our lives that, that we feel aren't quite the way uh, we would like them to be. A resolution is a determination to do something about those areas and to thereby make our lives a little bit better or to be a little bit better. As with the TV resolution, Sometimes making and keeping a personal resolution can actually make a difference, can make our lives better, but not necessarily. King Herod is a good uh, case in point. It wasn't a new year, at least not that we're told, but it certainly was the beginning of a new era. It happened sometime in the months after Jesus was born, perhaps up to even two years after his birth. Herod the Great, as he was called, was the Roman-appointed king of the Jews. 
And it is likely that he was much too absorbed in his own pleasures and his own life and his own power that he didn't even notice that the Messiah had been born until someone showed up to tell him. I mean, why would he know or care about the birth of, a, of a babe, another baby to peasant parents in a, in a barn in the little town of Bethlehem, removed as, as it was from the center of power where Herod lived? Why would he imagine that a baby like that might be the Messiah? Now, Herod was notorious for many things besides being a rock and roll icon in some circles. He was known amongst his contemporaries for his total loyalty to Rome, specifically to the power circles of Rome, because he was able to easily switch allegiances from one leader to another, depending on who held power. He was also known for his grandiose building projects, the evidence of which you can still see if you go to Israel today. And he was especially good at this when it came to building palaces for himself. Although his crowning achievement, his crowning achievement was the glorious temple in Jerusalem. He was known for family strife that would make all of our families look positively normal, right? <laughs> he, for example, amongst his building projects were, uh, were great fortresses where he had family members uh, executed on occasion. I guess our families aren't quite so bad. They're not executing us. And most notably, he was known, though, for his harsh repression of any opposition. And, and we'll see a little bit more of that next week when we look at John the Baptist. He was ruthless when it came to defending his throne. That's what he was known for, his ruthlessness. So when wise men, as it says in this passage, or other places they're called magi or astrologers, really, is what they were, following stars, and they came to Jerusalem, having wandered there from Arabia or Mesopotamia or somewhere else in, in the eastern regions, and they told him of a star they had seen indicating the arrival of a king, it says Herod was taken it back. He, it says he was frightened even, frightened. This king, this powerful guy who was executing his family members was frightened about this baby. Why? Well, because God was doing something for the big picture of creation while Herod was fixated on the pixel of his own life. Now, in all fairness, his defense of his throne was understandable in a sense, other than the fact that some members of the dysfunctional Herod family earned their executions by trying to bump him off and usurp the throne. At that time in history, all of the Jewish people 
we're waiting in great anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. They were waiting for the true king of the Jews, who was appointed not by Rome, but by God himself. That's why Herod calls for the priests and the scribes to find out if this could really be the one. But it says he calls them secretly, because clearly he doesn't want to alert the people to the possibility that the king with God's backing might have actually arrived. If that king had arrived, then that couldn't mean anything good for Herod's own position. On hearing from the priests and scribes that this new baby does indeed fit the prophetic witness about the coming of the Lord's Messiah, Herod made a resolution in his heart. It was in his heart. He lied to the wise men saying that he wanted to go and worship, but it was a lie because we find out in the verses immediately following what Nippur read for us this morning, we find out that he did not want to go and worship. Rather, he had resolved to kill any potential threat to his power, even if that meant killing hundreds of baby boys. With words like frightened and secretly being used to describe his desperate action against innocent babies, it's clear that his resolution comes from a place of myopic insecurity. The wise men, we're told, were traveling the land, seeking the knowledge of the world that God is revealing. But Herod seeks only whatever knowledge he can use for his own perverse will and benefit. While the wise men were seeking knowledge of God, Herod, as Archbishop Jose Gomez recently tweeted, it was a great tweet, he said, Herod is a symbol for those rulers and forces in our world that are afraid and jealous of God. Of all the forces that seek to cast God out from the world he created and to erase the memory of him from our society. That's the kind of leader Herod is. That's what goes into his resolution. Our resolutions, while not on the same scale as what Herod had determined to do, sometimes also speak to our own insecurities and sometimes can be just as myopic. The making of resolutions can say that our lives aren't the way we think they should be, and we alone have the power to make things the way they should be, the way we want things to be in our lives. Most of us don't want to control the world or, or even control a country, as Herod did, but we would like to think that we have a little control over our world. The self help books that fly off of bookstore shelves at this time of year offer some insight 
into that. And I know that I myself get lured by these great titles uh, that promise to give me all the answers to living a perfect life. I'll share with you a few of the titles from my own bookshelf. I have Living the Extraordinary Life. I have Living a Life That Matters. I have The Power of Habit, right, in case I want to change my habits. I have 12 rules for life. I have 30 life principles. I don't know if I can't get 12 rules right, how am I ever going to master 30 principles? Now, I don't think that reading self-help books is pointless, actually. A lot of them can be helpful. It reminds me of a story of, of a churchgoer who commented to his pastor one time saying, sermons are really pointless. I've been listening to sermons for 50 years, and I don't remember what, any, what one of them was actually about. I can relate to the poor guy. You know, I have preached hundreds of sermons over the past 20 years, and I hardly remember what any of them were about. <laughs> but the pastor responded saying, well, I've eaten three meals a day every day of my life, and I don't remember the details of any one of them, but I'm pretty sure they have sustained me all these years, and without them, I should have perished. We may not remember and implement every detail of every sermon we hear, of every book we read, but I'm sure that most of them, on some level, have some takeaway, something that can contribute to our well-being. We may not have perfected every resolution we've ever made, but I believe that the act of coming before Jesus in humble reflection before making a resolution contributes to our maturity, our faith, and our character growth. Now, just as each individual pixel doesn't guarantee a great quality picture on your TV, each personal resolution, whether successful or not, does not offer promise of a perfect life. You know, with a TV, it matters how all the pixels move together. If you sit up close to the TV, you will actually see more detail. You, and some say you might even be able to distinguish each pixel individually, although you'll probably damage your eyes doing so. But they say you could pick them out, see that much detail. But you won't see the big picture, right? You won't see the story. To see that, you have to move back a bit from the TV and take the whole picture in. And you'll see where the story is going. The one who knows where the story is going. The one who knows the true big picture, of course, is Jesus. That's why taking a step back to fix our eyes on Jesus and on what God is revealing to the world through him 
is more likely to lead to us living a fruitful, fulfilling life marked by peace and joy and compassion. The wise men in this morning's passage from Matthew were the ones who, unlike Herod, had taken some steps to look at the big picture. Truth be told, they stepped back so far that they were looking at the whole sky, the glorious heavens above them. God had created the universe and all the stars, then it would make sense to him, to them that, that God directed their course in the sky, right? The thing about the stars is that no human being can control them. Not Herod, not the wise men, certainly not you or I. The wise men were watching then, not the things that they could control, but precisely the things that they cannot control. Believing that truth is more likely to be found in the things that human beings cannot manipulate. Truth is more likely to be found, not necessarily in the stars per se, but in the things that God is doing. They wanted not just the things that they could control, they wanted the truth that only God can reveal. And where they found it was in a manger in Bethlehem. That is the big difference between them and Herod, the not so great after all. Herod's experience of the birth of Jesus was marked by fear and secrecy. The wise men, we're told, experienced joy when God revealed to them what he had done. Herod's resolution came from a place of insecurity. The wise men's revel revelation came from a place of trust and reverence for God Almighty. Herod's resolution leads to selfish jealousy and murder. The revelation of God to the wise men leads to joy and reverence. And because of their openness to God's revelations, they were able to perceive God's further instructions to them to go home by another way other than Jerusalem. They watch for what God is doing because they know that is more important than what any human can do. What God is doing is more trustworthy than what we are doing. The things that God controls are more reliable than the things that we control. The things God reveals are more apt to make our lives better than the things that we resolve. If you do make any resolutions this year, I hope that one of them will be to watch intently, patiently, and faithfully for the things that God is doing and making known. God is continually speaking to us, 
revealing his nature and his love and his grace to those who step back and widen their focus from the pixels of our own lives and our own desires to the big picture of what God is doing in our lives and in the world. Now, I don't personally recommend watching the stars, and please don't go poisoning your mind with horoscopes and stuff like that. That's not the kind of astrologers that these wise men were. But God does reveal his nature and his plans and his purposes to those who seek him in the scriptures with an open heart. God does guide our footsteps with wisdom and with care when we pray and and ask and listen for his guidance. God speaks to us through the wise counsel of, of fellow believers and through the wisdom of the church tradition. As you go in to the year ahead, it doesn't hurt to make resolutions. Again, please let me know what they are. I'd love to hear it. It doesn't hurt to spend some time examining the pixels of our lives and and see what we could be doing better. But according to one TV shopping guide, just as important as the resolution of your TV is the angle from which you're viewing it and the amount of light that is shining into the room. May the light of Christ which overcomes all darkness and brings God's truth into focus, be your guiding light through the coming year. Amen.